I am afraid I misled you last. Lord's Day, I said this was going to be the last sermon on the doctrine of church discipline. And lo and behold, it was not. The Lord brought to mind some things that I felt that uh, I said from the beginning that I needed to say. And so I felt it was important that I deal with them because there are things we should take under consideration. Both in our church as well as in dealing with other churches and understanding the nature of the time and the problems that we're into in our generation. We truly are in a world of problems. I knew without revival, naturally, America would eventually get caught up into all the humanism and paganism that has disguised itself, not as a religion, we already know it's a religion, but has disguised itself and was accepted within the Christian church and practiced there. And so I believe that I would probably be dead and gone and that my children and my grandchildren and their children would have to put up with it. But lo and behold, it's coming upon us quickly. And this nation has no place in the Bible. None. No promise to us except for that which is given in the warning of the book of the Revelation. Those who apostatize from the faith, those who worship idols, there in Rome and Jerusalem you see the end thereof their destruction. That's our part in prophecy. We are not God's people in that sense like Israel was. We are the people of God as the true Israel when we embrace that truth and much of that was embraced in the founding early years of our nation. Much of the Republic was built off of John Calvin's understanding of what a true Christian Republic was. The concept of popular ascendancy, the right of the people to choose who they would have govern them, what kind of government they would put themselves under. How would they deal with the despot, when someone would raise themselves up as if they somehow thought they were God's gift to any nation that would put up with their nonsense. Well, Calvin said that's not true. We don't believe that. A society is not created by God in that sense, although the magistrate, according to Romans 13, if he says that that which is right is upheld and that which is evil is suppressed, is a godly ordained government. But when government becomes evil, promotes evil, suppresses the good, it no longer is ordained of God. It is out of kilter with and there's always a transition. And we are living at the end of that transition in America if God doesn't grant us revival. Well, with the upshot of paganism and humanism, especially it's been adopted within the church, today we see so much of the Marxism and everything else that is passed off as enlightened Christianity, it is no wonder that we have had to do more church discipline than normal. 
Not that necessarily everybody embraces that nonsense. It's just that the church isn't discipline anyone for their sins, and so others think, I can commit sins, and no one will care. No one will notice. No one will make us accountable. And this in Sermon 21. I want you to understand it's the lack of accountability that's destroying our churches. Once great churches in this country are dying. We are being sold over to Marxism, to other forms of humanism. We're adopting paganism. And we wonder why God's judging America. Well, let me just go back and let's begin, if you will, with, I forgot to turn the mic. I think it gives me a few extra minutes. The establishment of discipline, we said. Matthew 18, 15 through 20. Here our Lord says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Now, we've gone through this 21 times. I sure hope that if someone said to you, how does the church practice? Why would they even practice church discipline? Is it just a, some kind of a game they're playing? No, it's in Matthew. Jesus said it. Now, unless you want to say something nasty about Jesus, you, you better follow what Scripture says. So he says, if he transgresses against you, Go tell him his fault between you and him alone. Don't share it with everybody else in the church. This is an issue between you and him. If he hears you, that is, if he reconciles with you that you're right and he has offended you, you've gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or more one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Now they're going because you've asked them to help you win your brother. Now you've widened the knowledge of those beyond two to more who now know what's going on. But they come to help counsel, to give advice, to listen to the give and take between the two. That if it is not resolved through their work and help, then if he refuses to hear them, their job is to what? Tell it to the church. Well, up to that point, we've had informal discipline. Informal discipline consists of what? Self-discipline, we said. One-on-one -on -one counseling and discipline. Self-informal kind of discipline. One-on-three or four who witness to it. But he says, if he refuses to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. One of the worst things I think you can call a person in life. Not a heathen, the tax collector part. Heathen comes in second. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Whatever you bind in that which you have determined they will not hear and repent and reconcile with you, then your binding of them to their sin. You're moving to see that they reconcile when they will not know this. They will have God's judgment as you have judged them properly. 
You've got to be careful about what a church says and does. They will the power. Now, it's not killing you. It's spiritually putting you to death because they're saying, you know what? You're not a Christian. And we're going to tell the whole body of Christ here. You're not a Christian. You won't reconcile. You won't live the way God has called you to live. But if they repent, then you turn them loose from the bondage that you could have put them under for their sin. He said, again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. He's going to do it. The Father will honor it. That ought to scare you. Christ says, my Father will honor this. And you will not escape the judgment of my Father. He says, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst. Now we said church discipline, if you'll remember, is rooted etymologically in the concept of learning, teaching, education, tutoring, instruction. And so in the informal, you have that. Then when you go to the formal, which is telling the church and the process it goes through, you have the very same principle. Instruction, it's discipling, it's all it is. Trying to get a person to get back on the path of righteousness. So what have we said thus in this series so far? We've said this, this is the process. The day that you get saved and join the church of Jesus Christ, you begin your journey of discipline before the Lord. You become a disciple. And thus, the first thing that you come in contact with is the preaching of the word, which instructs you how to live, what to believe in your life. And there is a lot of priority put upon the preaching of the word. The preaching of the word goes forth, if it is true to the word of God, with power. It is preaching what the Spirit has written in the Word through holy men. And he moves with that preaching of the Word among the people. And he encourages them. He renews them. He's constantly reconciling them to God. Where they're not perfect yet. They have not reached that state of glorification. But the preaching of the Word is primary. It is how we know to give the Lord's Supper correctly. It's how we are to know how to baptize our children correctly and our adults who make professions of faith. It tells us how to discipline people. It teaches us all those things that are God's means of grace by which all of them have to be established according to the word not according to the tradition of men, not tradition of men. It cannot be. Secondly, we said becomes self-discipline. The Christian hears the word, he reads the word, he prays, and he seeks God to give him insight. He comes and he receives the table of the Lord, knowing there is both a cursing and a blessing. There is a renewing each time that we come. That we are committing ourselves again and again to our Lord and his salvation. So real self-discipline begins with 
an individual governing their life. That's why we have people in our church been here for 25 or more years. Never once have we disciplined them. Why? Because they're constantly examining their life. They're constantly seeking counsel and understanding. How do we live? How do we act? How do we do these things that we may please God and walk in his favor? They don't want to be out of accord with God. You want to take out a war with God? Bad idea. Bad idea. I've never met anybody yet who's won a war with God. But believe me, if you take out a war, he'll give you a war. He will, if you're his child, no matter what the cost, he will bring you into line with his word. And that's all you have to obey is the word. We've never said anything different from here. We've never asked you in discipline at any time, nor have we counseled you at any time, nor have we given you advice at any time. Oh yeah, go ahead and sin. It's okay. Go do this, go do that. Oh, yeah, it violates the word of God, but who cares? We've never done that. Never. The third phase that we talked about in the life of a Christian is that one-to-one informal discipline also. That which we just read in Matthew 18. If somebody transgresses, Go to them. Don't wait for them. You go to them and say, you have sinned against me and we need to make it right. I cannot afford to have you at odds with me. We've got very few friends in this life. And the world is not one of them. Don't mistaken the world as our friendship, as our friendship is with Christ and our Father, with his spirit, and with his bride, the church. The church, she's the pillar and ground of truth, Paul says. Well, he says if that doesn't work, the fourth step is what? It is one to two, three, maybe four, who in that informal discipline you go and you've widened out the body. There's more people know about this than there was when it was one-to-one. And they help you counsel. They try to resolve the issue. And if not, they become witnesses to what is said. And they tell it to the church. And so you've had four different phases that you pass through before any form of formal church discipline begins. Now, that doesn't mean if somebody comes up and says, oh, you know what, last week I just beat the socks off of my wife. I just said I've had enough of your mouth. I pounded in the ground, and I'm here today. Boy, I can't wait to preach and and hear the preaching and get the Lord's Supper. Well, if that eldership is worth anything, they're going to say, well, wait, wait a minute. No, you're not. You got a problem and we got a problem with you. I had a minister make that claim in our church. I'm always arguing with my wife. That's because yeah, I'm Italian and we always got to act that way and we got to say these things and, and we got to put them in their place. And I drug him back to my office and I said, you will never preach in this church again. How dare you think you can do that? We all are subject to being Christians in our life. And it's hard. 
it is hard enough without somebody saying they're a minister and saying it's okay to do what you ought not to be doing. It's never right to violate the law of God. We do it too often. I've never said any of you were going to be perfect. Never. I've never said to you, it surprises me how dear you would sin. I know you're going to sin. What I have a problem is, is why won't you reconcile with God and if you've offended somebody with them? That's the hard part. That's the part that if somebody points out you've done wrong, it's where you just take it and go with it and say, it's clear, I guess, I've violated the law of God toward you. Forgive me. And if they love you and they consider you a dear brother in Christ and you want to make right, they're willing to make it right. They're not going to throw it in your face. They're going to embrace you. They're going to love you. <coughs> so it is. The fifth phase of this we said to inform the church leadership that they may begin to invoke church discipline in a what? Formal way. Charging them. Which includes suspending them from the Lord's table lest they come and eat and drink damnation to themselves. And therefore, we also remove them from their membership duties and rights because they have now put themselves in an odd situation with the church. And then the sixth phase is, now, it's in that other phase, number five, that we actually do what? We excommunicate them. Now, excommunication, I've told you and over again, it's not kicking you out of the four doors of this church. We want you to come to church. This is where you learn to reconcile. This is where you hear the word of God. This is where you're challenged. But as far as we're concerned, we will not fellowship with you. We will not eat with you. We will do nothing but exhort you to get right with God lest you die and go to hell. You need to be at church. You need to hear the word. And you need to be thinking about these things very carefully. If you can't say that, I just don't believe you love them. How can you love them? Can't be done. And thus, on the sixth phase, is we remove them from the fellowship of both the body and the individual relationships that we have. And the church agrees to it. You must say, we don't want you bringing sin into the body. There's enough of sin in the world. There's enough problems in my own life with sin. I don't need yours coming in and disrupting everything else. I'm at war with sin. I got to be mortifying my flesh, putting sin to death. I got to be putting on Christ. I cannot have you come into the church when I am striving to live a godly life with my family and my church and my wife, and you're out here running around with a bunch of women, not doing what you ought to be doing as a husband with your wife, and somehow think it's okay. You would think under those circumstances, this eldership would go and say to them, you know what, it's not okay for you to run around on your wife. We're not going to have it. 
If you think you are, you've got another thought coming. We are going to expose you for who you really are. Now, historically, the church used to do something that I guess she's given up completely. Used to be, we'd write every other church in town and say, this person was committing sin. Maybe it was adultery. This person was committing sin. It was adultery. We've had to excommunicate. They're not Christians. Don't let them into your church. You're going to allow cancer into your church. And when it takes hold, it's going to eat and rot your church from within. And the other churches would say, Thank you. When they would show up at their church, they would say, you need to go back. You need to get things right. Repent. Seek forgiveness. Get your life straightened out. And when that church is ready to release you because you've done everything you've needed to do right in restoration, then you can come talk to us. But do they do that? No. <laughs> I wish they would. And I'll share with you some experiences with that. Well, what's the seventh phase? We said it's confront, it's exhort, it's restoration. We don't stop with just kicking them out and that's the end of it. We want to restore them. If you love them, you want them back in fellowship with the church. Eighth, we become an encouragement to the body to be supportive of those who have been in discipline and encourage them, what? Confronting them, saying, look, get it right, get back with the church. Hey, brother, I know I was excommunicated, but I want to go golfing with you. I got news for you. I'm not going golfing with you. Till you get yourself right with the church, our fellowship has ceased. Now, we already made note of all the things that you still have a responsibility. <coughs> if you're removed from the fellowship of the church, you still got wifely duties to do if you're a male or, or excuse me, uh, to, to your male spouse or if it's a male spouse to his wife. You have those duties to your children. If you have a business with somebody else, you've got the duty responsibilities in contracting to do those things. You've got that responsibility. We've already talked about those. So we won't be dealing with those again. But as to, oh, let's go out and have dinner. No. Let's go golfing. No. Let's go out and look at clothes. No. <clears throat> Let's go shopping. No. Let's go to the beach. No. <clears throat> Don't you understand? What part of no didn't you get? Get right. Confess your sin. Get back in the church. And we will go golfing. And we'll go to the beach. We'll do those things. But we're not doing them till the church says... You're restored. You have worked through it. You've sought forgiveness. You've done everything necessary to work your way back in your life. And the ninth was the, used to be the phase of going on and saying to the other churches, this family, this individual man, this woman, whatever the case may be, they're in sin. Watch out. Watch out. Because they're going to come to your church and they're going to do the same damage they did here, there. <clears throat> and tenth, it's the duties of the other Reformed church to do what? Respond properly. Too often. They will not receive the reports. Oh, they'll listen to the people making the complaint. Do just the opposite of what Scripture says. Hey, whoa, sorry. 
You got a problem before you come here? You need to go make that right with your church. Once it's right and I can get that confirmed with the pastor, we'll talk. But it ought to make you say something's wrong that they've been at that church for a certain amount of time and they're out looking now. They have a duty to send them back. Get the issues resolved. I say to you, my friends, do not ever become a, persi- a, persi- a participant in someone's sin. To listen to them, accepting them into fellowship, hearing allegations that you're not being hearing, Scripture says. So it becomes very important. Be sure the individuals have been cleared by that final church they were in, where they were disciplined, they were restored, and now they want to leave. I don't know of a church that will say, once you make things right and get restored here, you get your counseling and everything else, you prove to us over a little bit of time that you have actually got yourself under control. You want to go somewhere else? You're more than welcome to go. I can't force them to stay here. Now, granted, as you know, and as most of our men, I think, do, we all carry concealed weapons. Well, I've never used it yet in church discipline. I'm not going to say that on my sinfulest Sundays, I haven't felt like shooting people, but I haven't. So I'm free from that part. I haven't ever taken a baseball bat, which, by the way, is the weapon of choice by the mob. I've never taken a baseball bat to somebody and beat their brains out. Although there's times you want to say, I would like to beat their brains till they said, oh, That's the problem, (laughs) but it doesn't work. You see, it takes the grace of God. Every time. God's grace and God's grace alone can make the difference and does. Well, I've said that simply because I wanted to talk about some historical experiences. Now, I don't have names for you because I'm not going to name people or embarrass them. So most of you probably won't even know these people. But we've had some of the most interesting situations come up in our church. And as we have tried to deal with them, trying to stop certain things from taking place. They ran. Of course they ran. We want to discipline them. We want them to work it through. They ran. And it didn't work out so good. We had one family who left to go to a so-called Reformed church on the north side of Lakeland. Actually, they're not very Reformed at all, but truth of the matter, they say they're Reformed. And the family went there because they were angry with us. Because there were things going on that we said, we can't let you do it. There was a single man who was giving them money, who was taking the wife and the children out for walks and different things. The past, the the, minister, the the fellow who's married in this would call me and say, can you come down and talk to my wife? She won't let me in the house. And we just started sitting down saying, you can't do all this as it's coming out. This is not allowed. It's wrong. You're setting yourself up for a bad situation. We could see where it was heading. The wife was carrying a baby at the time. She threatened to get a divorce. And they were supposed to be big pro-life people. 
And I had to go down and counsel with them. I spent a lot of time at their house counseling. I didn't mind wanting to help them. I wanted to save their marriage. But the individual who was giving him all this money, he had no family of his own, never been married. He encouraged him to go with him to another place, this other so-called church. We wrote to him and said, do you realize that this family is under discipline? They wrote back and said, don't worry about it. We'll take care of it. I said, no, you need to honor our discipline and send them back. We're not sending them back. We'll take care of it. We can do what needs to be done. Boy, that hurt. I'm trying to save a marriage, and they're telling me, we'll do it. You can't do it. I wanted to see them raise their children to the glory of God. They had wonderful children. They weren't perfectly disciplined, but they were still good kids. You want to know the end thereof? She eventually divorced him. Went back to where she came from and married a former sweetheart from her high school years. Left her children behind. He married a Roman Catholic. He was a minister in our denomination and became Roman Catholic and renounced the ministry. Boy, they did real good, didn't they? They were over their heads. They had no idea what they were doing. And all they had to have done was said, you know what? You go back, you get this right with him, whatever's going on. He's been there from the beginning. Once you get everything worked out, you want to come back, we'll talk to you. It's all what had been said. And I weep over it. Those children went through a horrible time. And yet, what do we have? Two parents who are not in the faith. Another family, they also went. They came from a so-called Reformed church. Came to us. They left us to go to another Reformed church on the south side of Lakeland. <laughs> we told that church they're under discipline. There was real problems. Yeah, they take care of it themselves. Why do you get the same answer? I don't know. They must be doing like the Democrats. They must have a playbook and they got all of those little things that they just know what they're supposed to say. They left them, went to another Reformed Church, the one on the north side of town. They left there, came back to them, another church, not the other one they left here, but they came back down to another church on the south side that was supposed to be Reformed. So they've been in five Reformed churches. You know, and I always love these kind of families. These are the ones that came in and the wife always says to me, my husband is the head of my home. I look at my elders every time and say, that's a lie and you know it. A woman doesn't have to tell us that. We know if the husband's the head of the home because she we can see it in her actions, in their life, the way she lives. Where are they today? I have no idea. The last I heard, they've been in two other Reformed churches and even at one point ended back up where they had left. You would think with seven or eight different church transitions, somebody would have said, who's reformed, hey, you can't do that. We're not Baptist. You just don't go jump from church to church, and it's okay. Something's wrong in your life that you're acting this way. I have no idea what has happened to them. 
we had another man in our church. And some of these, by the way, husbands and wives, we, we did a lot of things for him. We went to court. We've gone to Miami and counsel on families that have had major problems. One family had pedophilia from the grandfather and uncle in their own family. I went down and counseled the whole weekend and kept him out of jail and worked hard at it. Dr. Drugay was in constant contact with me and we were discussing these things. And you know what you always heard at the end? Man, we'll never forget you. You can't believe what this means. You've done this for me. And every time somebody says that within three weeks, they're gone. Pastor Rick says, you know what your problem is? They take your kindness for weakness. You do too much. You take people out to dinner. You, you've bought people computers. You've given stuff away. You've bought books. You've done all kinds of things. You've bought food. You've bought clothing. Since I've been here, I've watched you spend a lot of money and time, and the people don't appreciate it. You need to quit. And I said, I can't. When you love them that much, you can't love them. Because your hope is they won't leave. They'll stay. They'll get things right with God. Well, at his wife's assistant, he, he came to church. He heard me preach. I was speaking down in Bartow on political things. I stood up at a meeting of the council, and I addressed them, and I went through a lot of things theologically and said, you don't have the right to say this, 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 and this. When I got done, I had a lot of people that came up and said, wow, that was great. This one guy said, could I be allowed to come to your church? I said, yeah, here's where we meet. Come and, come and visit with us. Love to have you. He came to church. He went home, told his wife. She went to a different church. She said, my husband's never gone to church. She told me the next week she came to church. And I said, if you're willing to go to this church, I am so much desirous of you being in church, I will go with you there. And I thought, man, what compassion she has. For time. But as the Reformed faith settles in, as Pastor Enroe says, it's a hard road to walk. And very few people were ready to take that walk. She wanted out. And she said, you're leaving and going where I'm going to church. And I said, brother, you can't let your wife do that. She needs to be following you, not you following her. They left. You know where he is today? He lives in a small trailer about 10 foot long, six foot wide on a river. He's divorced. And that's all he has to his name. Didn't do him any good, did it? We worked hard for them legally. Matter of fact, he didn't have any money and Jack and I actually did the lawsuit for him. What did he get in the end from his wife? A divorce. What did he end up? Leaving the only church he ever, he went to the other church one time and said, no, I'm never going to go back. I'm not going to this nonsense. And the only time I ever seen him after that was, he said, I regretted leaving your church because it's the only place I ever felt like you were getting the church. I was willing to fight for him. I did everything I could do to win them. To win them. But it didn't happen. 
Another family left the church. They were under discipline because, come to find out, he was abusing the children in the way that he handled discipline. And as far as we could tell, he was pounding his wife for doggone good. And she'd make up excuses and lies. And then, lo and behold, she came down with cancer. They didn't have many money. And the people, the elders of the church met. And we agreed that those of us who could try could raise money out of our retirement funds and give. Cost us nearly $8,000 to pay for that. You know what we ended up with? Thanks. And in two weeks they were gone. Well, do you feel bad? No. I'm a humanitarian. Helped me any way I could. Unfortunately, Pastor Rick always keeps ringing in my ears. And maybe I am just an easy touch. That's at least what my dogs say. Man, if they want a treat or carrots, they know to come to me because somebody else in the house is going to hardly get them for them. And so Phyllis and Alyssa have always said, you're easy. I guess I am. And lo and behold, they went to a church and you're not going to believe this on the north side of town, that same church. The pastor told the wife to divorce her husband. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I said, what? They were leaving to go home. Most of the family had pretty much grown up by then. I don't think there was one or two at home. He came down with his wife, came into my office and said, can we meet with you? I said, yeah. He said, we're leaving. We're going back to where we came from, start over. And I said, I'm sorry to hear that. And he said, no, I'm going to tell you, we're sorry. You took us in, you loved us, and we did you dirty. And I told my wife, before we leave, we've got to come and tell you, you're wrong. We sinned. And he said, would you pass it on to the elders? I said, yeah. I said, do you want us to deal with that? And he said, if you would. And he went through a litany of things. He sat there for about an hour and told me all the things that went on. And he said, I, I should have listened to you and to the elders. And I knew that you loved me, but I was in such rebellion. I was going to do it my way. But they came back. Did it take? Did they continue on the straight and narrow? I have no idea. I've had no contact with them. But they came back. And they said, Forgive us. We didn't do what you told us to do. Quite amazing. We had another guy in our church. I know you're saying, wow, how can that be? We've been here for 42 years. We've had enough time to have a lot of people. We had a guy come here who was a minister with his wife. He met with the elders of the church, wanted to join the church as, well, he couldn't join it because he was in the presbytery, but they were going to come to church here. They lived in Lakeland. And so it was our job to interview the wife for church membership. And we basically asked her, how do you know you're a Christian? And she says, well, I married a minister. Well, that opened our eyes up and went, well, what? 
Well, I was Roman Catholic, but I married a minister. That's got to count for something. Maybe in the Catholic Church it does, but it doesn't count for anything in a Presbyterian Church that's Reformed. He got mad. Had another minister visiting. Unfortunately, he was kicked out by the other Presbytery. It wasn't our Presbytery. Every time he'd come down, he'd cost me money. He was thought he knew computers, and he'd tear mine up, and I'd have to go pay to get them fixed every time. And he stayed with them, and they got into a fight. And then they got into tattletaling on each other. And pretty soon, the thing blew up. The other guy went back home. He went so nuts that he was at one evening carried out in a white suit. They sent down the psychiatric division of the hospital and they put him in that little white coat that they tied on as he screamed and they carried him off. Well, what happened to the other guy? He said, I'm not putting up with this. I'm going, I'm going back to where I came from. I said, you got problems, brother. We got to fix them. Don't leave. You know what happened? He divorced. And he's out of the ministry. We've had others that have come. Wives not like the Reformed faith. They want to be a part of this new generation of churches. You got pastors who are both male and female. Elders who are both male and female. Deaconesses who are both male and female. You got people that will use people in your church. And then the people of the church come and say, how do we deal with our own home and then deal with all these problems? People put time into them, trying to help them. And then at the end, you feel like you've simply been used. And they go to another church, and what happens? In one case, I thought it quite interesting. They went to a church here in town who received their report. Yeah, we know Christ Presbyterian Church. That church is a mean church. <laughs> they do discipline. They're the old reform kind of guys out of Scotland, England. They still follow the confession. They still think they're going to discipline. Now, they'll practice discipline when it pleases them at their church, but they're not going to please to listen to anybody else. And then friends of theirs, some of our men got in contact with some friends because they went and lied about what was going on here. And our men went to try to fix it and say, listen, let us tell you what really has happened from our side. You've only heard one side. And their elders said, no, you don't want to hear it. People, these are wicked people. I don't know how many times we have sent people back and said, fix the problem. Or I'll call and say, we're going to send these people back. And if the church says, oh, no, you can keep them. Well, they just wanted you to go. Okay. I'm telling you, we're into a lot of problems today. Judgment, the Bible says, begins at the house of God. And God is going to have to clean a lot of houses out. But why? Why did we discipline them? Why? Why?
perhaps the fear of losing their soul. I don't know. Maybe you don't get it. Maybe you only get it within the family structure, but when God puts you in charge to oversee people and care for them, the duty for me isn't to make them happy. My duty is to get them into heaven. To save their soul through the gospel of Jesus Christ. To get them to walk and persevere in the faith as we are called And if I'm guilty of that, I'll be glad to stand before God and give an account for it. We're not mean. Truth of it is, that's by worldly standards. The truth of it is, by the Bible standards, we're loving. We're kind. I've never asked anybody to sin. I've never encouraged people to sin. You already got enough problems in your life. You don't need any encouragement. The encouragement is to put off sin and live righteously. And that's hard. That's why we do it. Look at the end of some of these families. And I haven't even dealt with all. If I could go through the whole history, we'd be here for two more sermons. And at that, I'm only giving you a bird's eye picture. I could go into all the details. I remember some of those details quite well. Wrote them down even. I could tell you things they have said that you would say, no, surely they didn't say that. You know, yes, they did. What was our objective? To love them? To seek to ensure that their souls would be in heaven? That's my calling. That's the calling of our pastors, of our elders, to oversee and shepherd the people of this church. And if we got a shepherd that doesn't want to do that, then we don't want him. But I'll never forget in training the young men who are going to be someday taken over here. At least they're going to take over the college and seminary, but I'm assuming this church will decide them to become their pastors. They said to me one day, how often does this go on? And I said, welcome to the church of Jesus Christ. It's a constant. And there are nights you will sit and you will not sleep and you will weep for people that you've loved. And they can just turn that fast on you and hate you. Why do we do it? We love them. Do we want to do it? It's the last thing any pastor I know of ever wants to do. There may be some who just ravish going into a battle and conflict with somebody. I don't. I like peace. I like the joy of fellowship, of love, compassion, forgiveness. but we do it for a reason. That reason is for their eternal redemption and nothing more. I don't get anything out of it. If I save a family from problems through counseling because they've got problems and they come to me and say, can you help us before we lose this family, etc.?" I never say to them, well, now that you're done, give me six Hail Marys five our fathers, and a couple hundred thousand dollars. Never ask for money. I don't know, maybe I got it all wrong. Maybe that's what you got to do. Maybe when they owe you money, they'll be more loyal to you. I don't know what the deal is. Seems like it works for the rest of them. I've never seen that in Scripture. 
The only thing I've ever said to him is, be faithful. Just be faithful. The hardest thing you'll ever do is be faithful. It's hard for all of us, but we're all called to do it. Let's pray.